Radio. The transmission and reception of electromagnetic waves on radio frequency, especially those carrying sound messages, or the activity or industry of broadcasting sound programs to the public. Fanboy. A male fan, especially one who behaves in an obsessive or overexcited way. This is the Radio Fanboy Podcast, and here's your host, Bevo. Well, hello, and welcome to a brand new era in podcasting. My name is Bevo. And this little podcast is hoping to reach big heights here in Australia. I'm a fanboy of Australian radio. I love the medium since I was a young kid. And the guy that puts this show together, his name is Matt Fulton. And I'm going to make this podcast all about Matthew. He's uh, also a radio fanboy and he joins me in the studio at the moment. Hello, Matthew. How are you? Hello, Lee Bevington. <laughs> this is so formal. You're calling me by my full name. This is just very, very awkward. Hey, thanks for doing the uh, amazing introduction there with your production skills, being a producer now at Hot Tomato on the Gold Coast. Are you enjoying the gig? Very much so. So tell me about the role as a production engineer. Yeah, it takes a lot of creativity. Tell us tell us about the early stages when it came to radio for you, your, your passion for the uh, industry. I do recall... I might just butt in here and um, talk about your time in community radio. Mate, any further back and I'll get a seniors card. (laughs) Was it it 2MCR or something like that in in, um, Campbelltown? It was 2MCR, which was MacArthur Community Radio. Yep. While I was in high school in 1998, Okay. So it was all because a mate of mine who went on a school excursion he was in music class. Yeah. And so he checked out this radio station and I thought, oh, that's cool because I've always enjoyed radio no matter what. AM, FM, everything. Listened to 2WS, which is WSFM now. And I was jealous of the fact that he went to this community radio station. So he checked that out and then I was asking him millions of questions about it in school. Yep. And because of that, I thought, oh, I may be a bit interested in it. So I checked it out, signed up, it's all volunteer stuff, and started having my own little shift. Oh, yeah, yeah. And what, what time slot did you have? First one was Thursday, 4 to 6. It was drive time. Thursday, 4 and to 6. Drive time with Matt Fulton on 2MCR. Is that is that the was, kind of voiceover you had back then, or was it a bit... Uh, it was Low more, key. Hold on, let me, <clears throat> let me Here just we go. have a drink of water and warm up my voice. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're about to get ready for Matthew Fulton's impression of when he started on 2MCR 20-odd years ago. Okay, Matt. Hello, this is MacArthur Community Radio on 100.5 <laughs> FM. I'm Matthew Fulton, and this is Drive Time from 4 to 6 p.m. I have plenty of awesome music coming up. So here's Fat Boy Slim with Rockefeller Skank. Oh, that's taken us back. And what a tune. Oh, yes. Norman Cook knew how to make a, a beat back in the day and remix those classics to bring you brand new music. Yeah, I wore out that album. You've come a long way, baby. So much in that CD player. And I seriously thought the guy on the cover, you know, being called Fat Boy Slim was Norman Cook, but no. <laughs> <laughs> it was just for illustrative purposes, as they say on those um, marketing brochures. Polar opposite to what that 
image was. Yeah, yeah. So Fat Boy Slim, that was that was a great impression, by the way, because it totally sound different to obviously the way you do now. Oh, thank you. And it's called puberty, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like fries with that? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Before. I guess when I was younger, I could actually do that Simpsons nerdy voice, but I can't do that now. You are a Simpsons fan. Um, you do a, a reasonable Homer Simpson. Let's hear that impression. <laughs> oh, don't put me under pressure. Oh, that's no, no, awesome. Wait, that's oh, I like that. No, that's good. I like that. That's fantastic. So, to MCR, yeah. obviously, um, you got onto Rove. How did that happen? Well, it's because I was doing an afternoon and a night youth show. Yeah. And I thought, what's the best way to publicize it? And I was going to the local papers, such as the Campbelltown and MacArthur Advertiser. Yeah. And Chronicle, uh, the local papers. Yeah. And the journalist there said, it's actually easier to write an article. So, therefore, you won't have to pay for any advertising. Oh, okay. And I thought, what's the best way to promote the station and a name for myself at the same time? Yep. Because I really wanted to make a mark. And who was it? C91.3 was about to start or had just started in Campbelltown. Yep. And I wanted to grab their attention. Yep. And this is like, I wasn't an expert or anything in publicity or any announcing. I thought I was the king shit. <laughs> I was reading a Guinness Book of Records that my brother had got and I was skimming through it and I thought, wait a minute, was there anything about radio? And because of that, I looked it up on dial-up internet at the time and when I got the latest record, at the time it was roughly 102 hours, but it was done by some guy in Canada Yep, and then... The more that I researched, there's other stations who have done it as well. Okay. But because it was a record that was constantly evolving and constantly being broken because it was always being updated and critiqued by Guinness himself. Yep. Because you had to send in your tapes and then it'll take months to go through it all to tick off the checklist really of if they've broken the record and everything like that. And then I approached... The committee and also all the members of the station and say, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to give the station free publicity because they're constantly doing all the sponsorship drives to try and get more listenership and more businesses to listen to a community radio station. Yeah. And they said, yeah, we love the idea. And because I was working in retail at the time, I contacted my manager and my manager said, yep, you can have the time off. And I think at the time I didn't have any holidays available. So I was preparing to take some sick leave and I wasn't allowed to at the time for some odd reason. And I eventually quit. Oh, wow. Because I needed all that extra time to do it. So I was unemployed and doing this attempt at a radio marathon. What did you get to in the end? How, how long did you manage to stay on air for? 103 hours. Oh, wow. 14 minutes yep. and 36 seconds. Oh, my Lord. I think I had to break 102 hours. And what sort of training did you have to do to basically do that? Did you drink a lot of caffeine? At the time, I didn't. Like, I didn't drink coffee. I was mainly a 
Coke person, really, as in the soft drink. Oh, I was going to say, you know, white yeah. powder and go, go, go. <laughs> but anyway, keep going. Went to a doctor, got all these checkups to make sure that my blood sugar levels were fine, didn't have any cholesterol issues, and I just had to go through a bit of a health routine, like a bit of checkup. Yeah. And I was, how was it, how old was I? About 20? Yeah, I was 20 years old. Okay. And doctor gave the okay. Part of the Guinness record rules were you had to have a registered nurse on site all the time to monitor. There was many, many rules, to be honest. Yeah. But we'll be here for ages if I went through them all. Yeah. And I recruited friends and family, people to volunteer, really, because I was volunteering my time. Yeah. And we thought, well, if we're going to do this and people are volunteering, we might as well try and turn it into a fundraiser as well. So the nurses who've volunteered a lot of their time came from a specific area of the local hospital, which was more or less the uh, the newly born infants, so intensive care. And we thought, well, anything that we get and we can try and do a bit of an auction in the early days of eBay, really, any money raised we'll put towards the that wing of the hospital. We were meant to raise the money for the station, but then we thought, well, this is free publicity for the station. So that kind of, you know, weighed up a little bit saying, oh, they need more of that money than we do. So we'll wow. take the publicity. We'll give the money to the hospital. And how much It'll did you end up raising? I think it was about two or three grand. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So... But that, that was also from all the items that were donated to because we actually had had HD Nelson come in and donated a video set with him autographed. That was the most valuable item that we oh, had. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and then there was a bunch of CDs, couple of artists and guests who came in and signed documents and photos or whatever albums they were plugging at the time. Wow, so it turned yeah, into a full-on fundraiser, um, all because you were doing this marathon and obviously uh, got a lot of attention. Well, did you write to Rove or send an email or fax back then? Yeah, that was me. i got to admit, I'm a big fan of Rove at the time. Yep. And I sent them an email on dial-up. Yep. And they said, yeah, sure, we'll look into it when it gets a bit closer because I reached out to them about a month ago. Yep. And... They finally responded and they said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do a cross to you. And I thought, oh, there'll be cameras and everything. But they said, no, no, we'll do it down the phone line. And if you just send a high-res photo, then we can put it up on the screen and have a chat to you live on TV if you've made it by that time that you're on air. Because I started on June the 1st at 12 o'clock, which was a Saturday, at 12 o'clock lunchtime. Yep. And I had the last three days until they did the cross. Well, the clip's on YouTube. I'm trying to remember who the other guy was. Tim... Tim Smith. Smith, that's his name, yeah. From the comedy company. Yeah. And at the time, I think it was Tim and Tracy or someone who was on mixing Melbourne. Oh, right, yep, on the radio. Yeah, yep. so they had him on. And at the time when they did the cross, I was 80 hours or 81 hours into it. Yeah. And the just before we did the cross... Because the shifts that I was taking of the people, uh, of the members, 
the shift that I was filling in was these two guys who I find very, very funny. They were just two local guys in Campbelltown. Colin and Jason, I think they were. Hello to Colin and Jason. Yes. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, hi. Matt Actually, loves one you. of them ended up being my retail boss down the track. Okay, cool. So, yeah, and they wore me out because they cracked jokes like no tomorrow and only had been awake for roughly 80 hours straight laughing just drained me. Yeah. And so by the time Rove crossed, I was exhausted. Yeah. Like, terrible. I felt like I was drunk. Wow. Yeah, I yeah. I would never even attempt to do a marathon like that, but you gave it a red hot go and an all for a good cause by the sounds of it um donating to the local hospital. So that was, that was that was the launch of your radio career going on Rove doing this marathon. Where did it go to from there? I was trying to get into Afters, the Australian Film Television Radio School. Yep. And I needed to get their attention. So with that, I applied for a full-time course. And unfortunately, I didn't get in. Like, I got up to about the second stage. Yep. And I got rejected uh, because at the time I was a bit immature, the way that I think about it. When I look back at it now, I'm going, oh, crap, I could have done better. Uh, but they gave me an opportunity to do a short course just to get a taste of how the radio works. And I enjoyed that. Made a couple of friends from that. And so I thought, well, if I didn't get in this year, I can attempt it to get in again next year. Oh, come on, name drop. Who are those friends? They've probably gone on to bigger and better things now. Oh, I know one was Fairly Hamilton. Oh, yeah, yep. I've heard of Fairly. Yep. Yep. So I think she's at ABC Radio now in Wollongong. So you did the afters course, and I remember meeting you at, um, I think it was ARN. You're working in um, audio transfer, putting the commercials into the computer system. Yes, you were one of the first friends that I've made in commercial radio. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. It was, so, so it was me that introduced you to radio. I can't even remember what happened. Tell me. You, you probably got a better memory than I do. It's over 20 years ago now. Oh, goodness. Yeah, because I was studying at Afters, which was up the road in North Ride. Yep. So at the Macquarie Uni. And I was the first one in my class to actually get a job in radio because all the others... Um, were more or less the ABC side of things, and I was mainly commercial thinking. Okay, and they're all in still in radio, as far as I know, and they're yep. doing a great job, and they're good friends. And thanks to Facebook, I kind of know what they're up to. Oh, good old Facebook, keeping us up to date. What's happening in everyone's personal lives? Well, the yeah. stuff they share so, with us anyway. Yeah, I got the job as the car tart. <laughs> Oh, the glorified car tart. That's how a lot of us get into the industry. I remember doing that as um, a uh, night's announcer at 2XL in Cooma. And that was my second position. Obviously, there's a lot of people in radio that have a second position. That was mine. Um, I'd do the Hot 30 countdown till 10 o'clock at night and then have to literally cart commercials that the producer would put onto reel-to-reel and dub them across and hopefully oh, the bulk wow. eraser deleted the pulse. And it didn't trigger halfway through. It's all through. about the tight pulsing. Absolutely. <laughs> Has to be exactly 30 seconds, depending if you're a network station. If not, you can have that little breathing space. However, you were in luxury. You had the uh, the device that was known as the computer and automation 
um, when you yeah. start. You kind of started that doing that analog just, phase. Yes. I was one of the first people to start doing everything on the computer. Yeah. Because when I started there, there was still all the tape equipment and yep. little bits and pieces. So I was quite lucky that I wasn't actually using physical carts. Yeah. So you, you obviously did that for a while. How did you get into production? Is that kind of like the, the next step when it comes to working on audio transfer? Is it like the training ground? Yeah, a little bit. I guess if you're trying to get your foot in the door and you're not a complete audio expert, but it's a great way to learn the whole thing, then yes, that is the way to go. But because I was so much concentrating on becoming an announcer, I wanted to be like you, Bevo. No one ever said they wanted to be like Bevo. Like, oh, there's that guy <laughs> with the glasses and... Just take well, the compliment, like, mate. Looks like Koshi, yeah. Anyway. So I remember sitting in that office right in front of the fire escape, the stairway yep. on level one. And I would always see the people walk past up and down. And I thought my security clearance wouldn't allow me to go up there. And I remember you coming down the stairway and go, come up and say hello. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So got dragged upstairs and then it was like a whole new world. And I was going, wow, all three stations, WSFM, Mix 106.5 and The Edge 96.1. And yeah, it was you and... You introduced me to Alan Logan, who was the ARN music researcher. Mike E, who was doing, uh, he wasn't doing breakfast at the time. That was still Phil Brandell and Joe Abbey, I think. Yeah. Actually, that was the first year of Jonesy and Amanda. Oh, it was too. I remember that. Yeah. And Sammy Power was doing breakfast. Yep. Yep. Because it was Sammy and Jason, and Jason just left, I think. Mike Young, who was the imaging for WS and The Edge. Yep. And Eddie Rebar. Charlie Fox just started. And because I remember meeting him in the lift, and I'm going, oh, hi, my name's Matt. I'm the cart tart here. And he goes, oh, <laughs> hi, I'm Charlie Fox. And I'm going, okay, cool. Had no idea who he was. I thought he was just a total newbie. <laughs> And after learning who he was, I've got, oh, damn, I've got to impress him. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I annoyed him. So what, what did you end up doing? Did you end up spending a bit of time in production with the producers and, and getting a taste for it? Yeah, I started hanging out with Mike Young, well, learning how he did his stuff because he was just absolutely amazing. And Darren Scarce, that's right, he was the imaging for Mix. So I had two people kind of teaching me how to do separate bits of imaging, one for one station, one for another. And it was just mind-boggling. And it wasn't until after a while I realised that because I'm a nerd at heart, I just had to unlock that and just be yourself because I was too afraid of being too creative because I thought, oh, no one's going to get it. People still don't get it now, but I, I live with that. <laughs> But, yeah, it was just learning how to use multi-level mixing, you know, separate channels. And, like, I learned a lot. I had no idea how to use Pro Tools. I was petrified of using Macs. Really? Yeah. And look and at you now. You're a Mac expert. Uh, if you want to say that. <laughs> I am on the MacBook right now. 
and I've got an iPhone and an iPad. Yeah, rubbity and rubbity. And thank you very much to uh, Steve Jobs and his amazing technology for radio stations. Is <laughs> oh, this, that's really interesting. So you, you, you fell in love with production. What yes, next? Yes, I did. But it took me a while, though, because uh, I will admit my inspirations, like I used to listen, I still do occasionally, to Martin Malloy albums and bootleg tapes. So grew up listening to that, especially in high school. So Tony Martin's imaging, like making a sketch, the finer details, little bits and pieces, and also craft humor, that helped me a lot. Uh, same with Billy Birmingham's 12th Man albums. So it's all about the background noises, the ambience, and just trying to be creative in theater of the mind and Monty Python, all their sketches as well. Something you I heard about uh, Billy Birmingham was he actually recorded uh, the 12th Man CD using a doona over his head or a blanket over his head to record. Yes, he did. Which was because quite interesting considering the, the quality of the recording and the fact that he is uh, who he is. Yeah. I met him years later and I had a couple of his vinyls and CDs and so I stupidly brought them all in and told the breakfast producer at the time saying, hey, can Billy sign one of these, please? Any of them? I just want one signed. And I came into work early, was doing my carding stuff, and next thing you know, the producer's going, come over, Billy wants to meet you. Because he said, who the F has all this stuff? Who's made me rich? So gone over there and then asked him about how he recorded his albums and he said that he'll be in a hotel room and he'll just get the doona and depending on the mattress if it was movable he'll just grab that shove it in the wardrobe shove his mic in there and record away wow yeah so incredible isn't that amazing it truly is the theater of the mind when it comes to audio i mean you don't have any visuals all you got is your imagination and the words and the tone of a voice to take you. Yeah. It's just places. harder these days with radio because as much as like the creativity that you can have, the time spent listening is getting shorter and shorter. Well, at least there's plenty of more distractions. So I try and squeeze in as much as I can and even some nerdy references, but I know that one person out there will pick it up and go, oh, that was cool. That's all I'm really aiming for, just that one person to go, oh, I get that. I find that funny. Or if it's attention-seeking enough, they can hear it, and then down the track when they're watching a movie or TV show, they go, oh, that sounded familiar because it's a background song in a TV show or it's from a movie trailer or anything like that. So I just try to find something distinctive but also well-known at the same time. So I believe from ARN Sydney, you um, ended up in Brisbane at Triple M. How did uh, you score that job? Well, that was after uh, casual hopping around ARN. So I was, other than the car tart, so I was also producing, panelling, because my claim to fame is I was Jonesy and Amanda's first panel op. They created that job for me. And then after I left, or after I learned the ropes, I thought, I can't survive on a casual wage, so I needed a full-time job. Found it on Radio Info. I applied for it. I didn't know anyone up there. It was one of my mentors, uh, Byron Webb at Afters. 
he said, go for it. And so I flew up and even though I wasn't meant to, so I applied for it, thought I've got nothing happening on this day. So I flew up one morning, got in there, met the my potential boss, Rick Wade, who was the production manager, had a chat to him. And then he goes, okay, cool, thanks. And then flew back that afternoon. And I went straight back to work at ARN Sydney to produce live song dedications. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you, you're doing whatever you could, wherever you could, all across the board at ARN when you were there. Oh, mate. I've realised that uh, Stuart Cranny at C91.3, he was one of my earliest mentors before I got into afters. He taught me if I want to make that, get that appeal to someone, just go above and beyond but don't say anything because once they work it out later, they'll go, holy crap, that is the person to take this job. You look back on your radio career and, and how hard you worked to get there and, and now you've got this amazing gig in this amazing location. Oh, I'm bloody lucky. Um, do you still love what you do after all this time? Oh, yes. In fact, I've just celebrated 15 years in commercial radio, so... It went from ARN Sydney, Triple MB 105 Brisbane. Then after shy of six years there, uh, I was poached to go down to Canberra for Mix yeah, mix 106.3. So I was the imaging person there and that's where I cut my teeth because I was only the car tart in Brisbane. So after doing that for shy of two years in Canberra, I was approach to be the imaging producer for breakfast at Triple M Brisbane and after rejecting that three times because I didn't really want to move from Canberra I loved it down there uh yeah the audio boss up there said if you don't take it for this amount you'll be stupid so I thought all right followed the money and after a year and a half it was okay, and then, yeah, one thing led to another, and then I gave myself a break. After that three-month break, I thought I'll go a different direction, go a bit freelance, applied for a freelance job at Hot Tomato, and Graham Miles, who is the general manager there, he goes, oh, our audio guy is actually leaving. We're about to advertise, but come in and do a trial and see where it goes from there. So I did a week trial. I was competing against someone else. And I thought, well, you know what? I gave it a shot. Whatever happens, happens. And towards the end of my first trial week, they said, well, we still got to do this second guy, um, but we'll see how it goes because he might be good. We could split up the job. But apparently I was the lucky one and said, yep, come back after this and you can start whenever you want. Wow, what a story. What a fantastic story. And and you're there and you're loving it and life is pretty sweet on the Gold Coast at the moment. The one thing about Hot Tomato is at the time I was owned by Hans Torf and I idolised Hans because I used to listen to him when he did breakfast with Hans and Kaylee or Kaylee Harris on 2WS, 12.24, back in the AM days. And when I met him on my first day, I said, oh, hi, Hans. I listened to you when I was a kid. Loved your stuff. 
you know, you're fantastic. And he goes, mate, way to make me feel old on your first day. <laughs> I'm nearly there for five years now. Nearly. Yeah, about four and a half years right now. That's pretty good for radio. <laughs> and enjoying it. Absolutely. Well, Matt, absolute pleasure to find out your story, your backstory, and um, obviously your passion for radio is still there. And thank you for um, producing these podcasts. It's uh, an exciting time in radio, not only for um, what goes out, the speakers and, and the stick and, and everything else, but online now it seems to be uh, where all the audio is heading, especially with um, podcasts like this one. Mate, we- I know that you are very passionate about radio. You've inspired me. All right. Thank you very much for uh, chatting to us on the very first episode of Radio Fanboy, the podcast. Matthew Fulton from Hot Tomato. Pleasure's all mine, mate. The Radio Fanboy Podcast was hosted by Bevo and produced by Matt Fulton Productions. 